0: Thanks for joining us for this recording from the Southdale Church of the Nazarene in Anderson, Indiana. I'm Pastor Brad Burrow, and I'm glad you are listening. Someone once said, we are what we repeatedly do. During the month of November, we're looking at some of the things we do as a church repeatedly in the prayerful hope that God will use these things to make us more like Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening. Now here's the message. November 11th is when uh, uh, Germany surrendered and the armistice was signed to bring an end uh, to the fighting in World War I, which was supposed to be the, the battle to end all battles. That was November 11th. That was November 11th, 1918, 100 years ago today. In fact, we're just a matter of minutes, about 25 minutes away from 11 o'clock a.m. our time, is 11 o'clock Paris time, that that armistice went into effect. Now, something else I was looking at this week was a new display commemorating that event at the Imperial War M- Museum, which is kind of the United Kingdom's Smithsonian, so to speak, of, of World War I history in London. To commemorate the 100-year anniversary of the signing of the Armistice, they, they commissioned a sound recreation. There aren't really any recordings, any video or audio recordings of Armistice Day itself. Um, but there are, there are records of that day. Uh, this kind of blew my mind to even imagine Um, The engineers during World War I used a thing that they called uh, sonar range finding. They would actually bury uh, barrels of oil in the ground at different places to serve as microphones of a sort. And by judging when the sound waves hit the various microphones, they could calculate just about how far away the artillery that was firing on their positions were and could adjust their own um, artillery accordingly. And so they have those records from those microphones that were placed along the front lines there in France on armistice day. And, And from those records, they have made a recreation. This isn't an actual recording, but a recreation of what those last few moments from 10.58 to 11 a.m. sounded like on Armistice Day. They call it the moment the guns went silent, fighting right up, right up until 11 o'clock a.m. And then as the armistice went into effect, the fighting stopped. The battle was over. Oh, we know back then, at that time, they called World War I the War of, to end all wars. And as they listened to that silence fall across the battlefield, I expect they thought the guns may very well have fallen silent for good. Of course, we know that that's not true. We know that there have been plenty of battles since then. There was even a World War II. It was not the war to end all wars. Yet there was something as I was listening to that video today Or this week, as I was listening to that video this week, there was something in me that began to long for the day when the guns finally will fall silent. In the second chapter of the book of Isaiah, the prophet talks about the last days. And he writes these words In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted over all of the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This Veterans Day, even as we honor the sacrifices our veterans have made on our behalf, we also long for the day the guns finally fall silent. We long for the day when Jesus comes and brings the peace that war itself can never fully secure. And as the people of God, as the children of Jacob, we pledge ourselves to walk in the light of the Lord until that day comes. Do you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, We do thank you for all the men and women who have served our country over the years. And we know it's not just us that they have served. We thank you for the way that they have served our world in the cause of peace and freedom and justice. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless them and keep them. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd let your face shine upon them and that you would give them peace. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are serving our country right now, men and women who aren't with their families this holiday because they are veterans in the making, serving on our behalf. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would watch over them. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would keep them and that you'd bring them back home to their families. And Father, we do pray for our world. We long for peace. And not not the cheap and temporary peace that comes when people capitulate to evil. Rather, we long for the peace that only you can bring. Father, with your church, we join our voices in the prayer of the ages. And we beg even so, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. We ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask those who have served our country as veterans, if you are willing, would you stand up so we can recognize you this morning? Don't worry, I'm not going to make you come up. I was, te- I was debating on this. I'm not going to make you come up front or anything, but we want to recognize, to see who you are. Now the rest of you, would you stand with me? We're going to take a few moments to greet each other, welcome each other to worship, find some of these veterans and thank them for their service. People think about church. Tell me that what you just got done doing was, for most people, the worst part of the entire church service—shaking each other's hands and saying hello to each other. In fact, uh, um, Tom Rainer, Doctor Tom Rainer—I suppose I should use his honorific—is uh, an expert in in church outreach and evangelism, and uh, it, he studied the whole thing. He said the vast, like 90 percent of people who have been guests in church services say that that is the worst part of the entire Sunday morning for them when they have to stand around and wait for somebody else to shake their hand. But it's not just the visitors hate it. Uh, Dr. Rayner says 60% of church members hate the handshaking part of the service because like me, you are an introvert and you would feel a whole lot more comfortable if you could just sit back and, and worship and pray and not have to actually look at anybody else in the eye. So 90% of visitors and 60% of church members hate it. Can I tell you a secret? Preachers hate it too. (laughs) At least this preacher does. I'm not a huge fan of it because it's always a challenge getting us all back together. You finally get us together and we finally get the service started and then we stop and we walk around and we talk to each other and it's hard to get going again afterwards. So if that's true, if 90% of people who come to church, and 60 or 90% of visitors, and 60% of regulars, and, and you're one pastor, if we all hate it, why do we keep doing it? It's a good question. It's a good question. We don't do it on accident. We don't do it out of rote or tradition. We don't do it because I'm scared of the complaints I'll get from the three of you that like it. That's that's not it at all. It's none of the. The reason we do it is the Bible tells us we ought to. Did you know that? that uh, Romans chapter 16. Maybe you're not familiar because a lot of people stop reading Romans by the time they get to chapter 16 because it, it it's the end of the letter. It's when Paul sends all those greetings from all those different people that you've never heard of and don't know you. It's a part of the letter that really doesn't feel like it's written to us, but. There at the end of Romans, in Romans 16, verse 16, Paul says, greet one another. He's talking to the church. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. You think shaking hands is awkward. <laughs> Paul says, greet one another with a, with a holy kiss. And it's not just Romans. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 20, greet one another with a holy kiss. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 26, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. And in 1 Peter 5, verse 14, even Peter jumps on the bandwagon. And Peter himself says, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Five different letters, five different times. The New Testament tells the church. Now, we don't greet one another with a kiss. We don't. That would be weird. <laughs> Remind me to stay on the opposite side of the sanctuary. Poor guy. <laughs> Picking on Gary. In Paul's day, in Paul's day it would not be unusual for good friends. In our day it would be really weird. But in Paul's day it would not be weird for good friends to greet each other with a kiss in and greeting. And today we give a hearty handshake, and for that all of us are glad. But we, we greet each other warmly. Uh, and, and why do we do If it was important enough for the New Testament to tell the church five different times to do it, what's so important about it? Well, uh, we live in a world that needs peace. Right? And it's not just in international politics. We live in a world that needs peace in our relationships with each other. In fact, there are some of us, it would be good if we could finally get to the day when the guns fall silent in our personal lives. We live in a world that needs peace. And so we take time every single Sunday morning to greet each other warmly. We don't do it for the 90% of visitors who hate it. We don't do it for the 60% of, uh, of church regulars that hate it. We don't even do it for the one pastor that can't stand it. <laughs> for the widower that lives alone. And it's been a while since they greeted anyone. We do it for the middle schooler that comes home from school harassed and harangued and wonders if there's any place in the world where I fit in. We do it for the middle-ager who goes to work every single day and answers the phone and fields people's complaints and criticisms all day long and just wonders if there's anyone in this world that's happy. We do it for the introvert pastor that if you left it up to him, he would never say anything to anyone. We we'll just sit at home or in his office. We do it because we need peace. We all need peace. Sometimes we need to share it. It's good for me to have to shake hands and look at people in the eye, it breaks me out of my preferred isolationism. Sometimes we need to receive it. Us need peace. And so every single Sunday, we take some time during our worship service to pass peace to each other. Now, we don't do it as formally as some churches do. You know, in Christian history, the traditional way to greet somebody is to wish them peace. Peace be with you. And that wasn't something the Christians started up. The Jews were doing it long before we were, when they would greet each other with a word of shalom, but we don't really do peace be with you and peace be with you also. We don't, we're don't. we not that formal. Typically it's a smile and a handshake and a question about how things are going or about something we know that's going on in that person's life. But we greet each other in the name of Christ and offer each other peace. I'd like to make a suggestion to you, however, and I'm not suggesting that you change the way you greet each other. I'm, I don't really think you need to be that formal peace to be unto you. I don't, And I definitely don't think you need to go around giving each other a holy kiss. That's fine. <laughs> not asking that you change the way you greet each other. But I would ask that it not be a mindless ritual. There's a difference between a mindless ritual and a meaningful ritual. You know that, right? A meaningful ritual is one that we pay attention to as we do it and allow it to shape and form us. I'm asking you to make this greeting time a meaningful ritual. Be mindful of the reason why we're passing peace to each other. And be mindful of who you are passing the peace with. Be especially aware of the people around you who look like they could really use some peace today. Whether it's the first-time visitor who's scared out of their minds that people are wanting to shake their hands, or whether it is... The lonely widow who's not been around people all week or or the person who's just come through the battle of a lifetime and is still kind of shell-shocked from it. Be mindful of the people around you who visibly need peace. And as you greet each other, greet each other with peace. Oh, that's enough of an introduction. Thoughtlessness, the... Instead, the regular patterns of our worship that are there because we want to be shaped by what we repeatedly do. And so we talked earlier about the part of the service that we spend every single week shaking each other's hands and smiling and being nice to each other. Passing the peace because we live in a world that needs peace. We talked about why we pass the peace Some of you, however, might be thinking this morning, as we've talked about peace and sung about peace, you might be thinking to yourself, I need more peace than just that. Because while peace in the world is important, and peace between people is important, it's hard to really have peace until you can have peace in yourself. And some of you might be thinking, you know, I, it's fine for me to pray for peace in the world and me to offer peace to other people, but what about when I go home? What about those times when I'm all by myself and there's no voices to distract me, no noise to get my mind onto other things? What about those times in the quiet when, when I'm left with just my lack of peace? How can I be at peace with the world and at peace with other people when I'm not at peace in myself. Well, here's the good news for you. There is something else that we as a church do every single week that might just help for that. with that. And it's almost time for us to do that in this service. Every single week after I preach the message, we pray together. Talk some about that and all the different kinds of prayers that we offer last Sunday morning. But after the message, there is a specific prayer that we pray every single week. It is a prayer of, of corporate confession. When we acknowledge our need for God's forgiveness and ask Him to keep His promise to forgive us and to cleanse us from sin. And I don't know about you, but the church of the Nazarene that I grew up in did not do that on a regular basis. That, that prayer of corporate confession was not a regular part of, of the church that my mom and dad still go to. It wasn't a part of my home church. That wasn't a part of our tradition as the church of the Nazarene, yet every single week we do it. Some of you might be wondering why, you know? I mean, back in the old days, we'd have an evangelist come to town and and he or she would preach a message about sin and forgiveness and they'd open up the altars and people would come down to pray. But on the other Sundays of the year, maybe every once in a while, the preacher might invite us to come and pray. But this idea of confessing our sins every single week, that, that wasn't something we did. So why do we do it? We do it because we need peace. And Jesus promises us peace if we will repent. Every single Sunday as a part of that prayer we go to God's word and ask him to keep the promise he made to us. If you have your Bibles, you can find it for yourself in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 where John makes us a bold promise that if we will confess our sins, God is faithful and just. And not only will He forgive us our sins, but He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we pray a prayer of to confession together every single week. Because we need peace. And to find that peace, we need to repent. Repent some of us need to repent because we've never repented before we've never even thought about it before we've never even really come face yeah we have this sense of guilt and there are parts of our lives that we are ashamed of and we wish no we hope that no one ever finds out about because if they find out about it we would be absolutely mortified We know what it means to live like that but we never never thought that there was a different way to live Never had anyone tell us that there was, there was a forgiveness that could change those parts and give us peace, where right now there's only guilt and shame. So some of us need to repent because we've never experienced that peace before. And Jesus promises, God's Word promises, if we will confess, He will forgive. But most of us here, I imagine, have repented before. And we don't need to do that ever again, do we? Some of us act like it. But even those of us who've walked with Jesus Christ for years still need to repent. In fact, no one No one should be quicker to come to repentance than those who have experienced firsthand the kind of forgiveness that comes when we actually do it. I can can understand someone who's never experienced forgiveness having their doubts about whether it could actually make a difference. But those of us who experience the difference that repentance can bring, we should be the first to repent because we know the peace that comes when we confess our sins. And we all, have need of repentance. John Wesley, I, I say that a weekly prayer of confession wasn't in the tradition, the religious tradition I grew up in. It, If I just would have gone a little bit farther back into our tradition, it is there. As a church of the Nazarene, we are a part of the Wesleyan tradition. We've been, our thinking about Bible and about God and about grace has been shaped in part by the teachings of John Wesley because we recognize in him not that he was some sort of truth bringer, but we recognize in him an understanding birthed by the Spirit. John Wesley, John Wesley argued, I was reading this week, he there was he preached an entire sermon called On Repentance in Believers. And John Wesley in that sermon underscores the fact that at every single point of our Christian life, And John Wesley was a guy who believed more about entire sanctification, I'd argue, than a lot of us do at times. John Wesley believed that if we really allow God to work in us the way God wants to work in us, God will cleanse us. He won't just forgive us from our sin, but He will cleanse us from our sin. He will so fill us with perfect love, perfect love for God and perfect love for each other that there won't be room in our lives for any of those other motives. We would be so filled with love that everything we do flows in every moment from love. I don't know about you, but if that's possible, I want to experience that in my life. But John Wesley, who believed that God could do that in someone's life, even he believed that at every point in the believer's life, even the one whose love has been made perfect, there is still a need of repentance. Because I don't, well, I do know about you. We're not God, right? God alone is omnipotent. There is no limit on God's power. What God desires, God does, right? The only limit on the power of God is the character of God. He can do it all, and what He wills, He can accomplish. That's not true of me. That's not true of me never will be true of me. There will always be a gap between what I desire and what I do. Now, I'm still over here working to get to the place where I only desire the right things. But even if I ever get there where I'm so filled with love that there's not room for anything else in my life, even if I get there, there will still be a gap between what I desire And what I can do. And so there will always, at every point of my life, in this age, there will be a place for me to repent. And so every single week as we wrap up the sermon, we come to a place of confession where we ask God to forgive us. We ask God to forgive us for our failures to love. For our failure to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our failure to love each other as ourselves. We ask God to forgive us for our failures in obedience. Whether it be the things that we do or the things that we don't do but we're supposed to do or the words that we speak or even the very attitude those actions flow out of. We ask God to forgive us And to keep his promise to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And can I just be personally transparent? I mentioned this last week, but I want to come back to it again. There has been nothing in my personal walk with Jesus Christ that has been more formative to me than the regular practice of confession. Because it seems like every single week, when I stand up here and lead us in a prayer of confession, I don't know what God's doing in your heart and mind, but in my mind, He's bringing things to mind. Things that I should have done but left undone. Things that I should not have done but I did anyway. Words that I may have spoken that did not flow from a heart of love. Attitudes that didn't resemble in the least bit the sacrificial service and surrender of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is bringing those things to my mind. and I'm bringing them before His throne of grace, and I am experiencing His forgiveness anew in my life. And here's something else I've discovered. It's not just on Sunday. The, a preacher probably shouldn't admit this, but there are times when I will be sitting doing something or thinking about doing something... And I'm not kidding, the thought will go through my mind. You had better not do that, or otherwise you'll have to repent come Sunday. <laughs> did not you just pray about that? did not you just ask God not only to forgive you, but to change you last Sunday? It's the Holy Spirit speaking to me and, and challenging me all week long to live out that prayer that I prayed on Sunday. And it's shaping me. It's making me more like Jesus. And I, there's nothing special about me. I believe that if you'll join me in that prayer, don't just make it a mindless ritual, but a meaningful one. Spirit will do the same thing for you as well. He will shape you, and He will form you, and He'll bring you peace. So if you're in need of peace today, Maybe you've never experienced it and you've heard people talk about it at church, but you're not really sure it's possible. Try it out. See what happens. Maybe you've experienced it before and wish you could get back to that place. If you need peace today, I'd invite you to join me as we pray together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace. The grace that sought us When we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Your grace that paid the price for our freedom and our forgiveness. And your grace that works in us to will and to act according to your good purpose. Father, thank you for your grace. We know it's because of Your grace that we're here this morning, and it's because of Your grace that Your Spirit is moving us to repent. And Father, we confess our need for Your forgiveness. Father, we've sinned. We have failed to love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We've sinned. We confess that, Father, we've sinned in the things that we've done. There have been things that Your Word tells us we need to do. There have been things that Your Spirit convicts us that we need to do, and yet we have left those things undone. Your Word tells us, for the one who knows the good he ought to do, but does not do it, that for that person is sin. Father, we've sinned by leaving things undone. We've also sinned in the things that we've done. There have been things that Your Word and Your Spirit tells us we should avoid, yet we have we have done them anyway we have failed you in our obedience we've sinned we have failed in the words that we speak your word tells us that our words should be full of grace and helpful for building others for building others up yet all too often the words we speak tear down and destroy the words that come out of our mouth flow from a heart of cursing and bitterness father we've sinned we've even sinned in our attitudes you tell us that you want us to have the same mind that was in Jesus Jesus who was completely equal with you but did not cling to his rights and his privileges as God but instead emptied himself made himself nothing became a human being along with us and as a human being became obedient even unto death on a cross. You tell us you want us to have that same attitude of humble obedience and sacrificial service yet far too often the attitudes we harbor are attitudes of prideful arrogance and selfish entitlement Father, we have sinned. Would you forgive us? For the sake of your holy name and for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, would you forgive us our sins? We ask this, keeping in mind your promise. 1 John 1, 9 If we confess our sins, You are faithful and just. And not only will You forgive us our sins, You will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, right now in this moment, would You keep Your promise to us? As we repent, would You forgive us? And then would You do that deeper work of changing us? Make us more like Jesus that you might receive all of the praise and honor and glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a live recording from our Sunday morning service. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to join us, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 530 West 53rd Street in Anderson, Indiana. You can find out more about us online at southdalenaz.com. Again, That's SouthdaleNaz.com.